for the newly indoctrinated, Jim Butcher's The Dresden Files follows the story of a professional wizard in Chicago. The first book, Stormfront, was published in 2000, and the series now boasts 17 novels, plus a combined 36 short stories, comics, and graphic novels to help flesh out the world. On top of that, The Dresden Files has also produced a television series, card games, and a TTRPG. With all that content, and a ballpark estimate of six coming novels, we've started our podcast as a way to break down the series' most important moments, characters, and lore. Add theories, ramblings, and outside sources, and you've got the number one Dresden podcast for all your interests. This is McAnally's Dresden Files podcast by Free Flow Rambling. Conjure by it at your own risk. Welcome to our second episode, Green Eyes and Broken Hearts, brought to you by Free Flow Rambling. My name is Tanzan, and I'm joined by my co-hosts Maggie and Jess. We're going to talk to you today about Jim Butcher's Stormfronts, Chapters 2 and 3. Harry leaves a note for his 2 p.m. missing persons appointment then walks a few blocks from his office to the Madison Hotel to see how he can help with the police investigation. We meet Lieutenant Karen Murphy, with whom Harry has worked before, and discover that a call girl and a mafia enforcer have been murdered horribly, and by no means could be achieved other than by magic. Harry is mortified, not simply in the humanity of the situation way, but doubly so that someone could have perverted the use of magic in this way. He relays his initial impressions and findings to Murphy and her partner, and then rushes off to make his appointment. He is stopped quickly and persuaded to accept a ride back to his office from none other than mob boss Gentleman Johnny Marcone. Okay, so, I mean, we meet Murphy right off the bat, and this is total exact opposite to Harry, where you've got this tall, muscular, dark hair, dark eyes, six-foot-something guy. Yeah, you've got semi-muscular. He's kind of gangly wow. more than... More, yeah, I sure. mean, yeah, he is for a, for a almost seven-foot tall. Now, this is something else. We pegged his age. Are, are we going to... So, same thing. It's not really until Book 16, Peace Talks, that Butcher gives him a specific height. It's always a little over six feet, or six and a half feet, blah, blah, blah. So, um, I'm just going to jump in and say, yeah, so, mm-hmm. so Harry is like 6'9", apparently is like, so I always had him pegged as like... Bloody six, tall! Mm-hmm. Yeah, 6'9", so, so yeah, because he does, he, he varies between like just above six and a half feet to being just under seven, and so apparently this is how much just under, so, so yeah, he's, he's not a shorty. No. He's, yeah. But, you know, then you've got Murphy, who's, you know, hair over, under five foot, blonde, cute, soccer mom... Favorite on bitty, bitty like blonde, pick her up, put her in your pocket. Totally cute little button nose, sort of a yeah, and sort of a look. Uh, and she will on the surface obliterate anyways. your sexual organs if you mm-hmm. describe her to her face like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she no, no no itty bitty favorite aunt, cute button nose. <laughs> no, so. Uh, right off the bat, this is when you get into Harry's first kind of his chauvinistic kind of outward. Uh, interactions with women because you know instantly him and Murph are in a foot race to the door 
for who gets to hold open the door for the other one. Yeah, and, and I, yeah, I love exactly. He's going and she, you know, right? He sort of speeds up a little bit, and she like kind of eyes him, like she knows what she's doing. <laughs> so she speeds up to get, and then becomes basically yeah, like a full on race to the door, and by by dint of having those longer legs, and that's it, kind of a thing. Is he just just gets to there before and holds the door open and she's like, because yeah, Murphy is very feminist that way, very mm-hmm. and and again, it's not even just that Murphy in and of itself is that way, but this is the world she lives in. Yeah, sir. She's had to fight her whole way to the top and she's not about to give an inch Yeah, anywhere. she's Yeah, she is a small, delicate female in a cop's world, in a boy's club, in a man's man and so, yeah, exactly right. She, she sort of, whether she would want to be or not is completely irrelevant. She's like, that's just not going to fly because the guys, right? Like, to be taken seriously and to earn her position, she cannot for a second ever be seen as anything less than, than being right on par with the man. man. I think there's a reason that, that uh, Jim Butcher chose to have such a, a drastic just, juxtaposition between these two characters. I mean, I think... For exactly that reason, the drastic juxtaposition. Me you know? too. Yeah, I think exactly just for the the contrast that it serves between Harry and and Murphy and and everything a little bit in Harry's world is oversized, as you know, we'll come to. In, or in this case, undersized. Well, but that's but this is but this is what I mean, right? Like mm-hmm. like Harry's bubble is right. So Murphy is very right. She is exactly that exact opposite. Yeah, to, and there's a point and, to- and in extreme. Yeah, and there's a point, too, where Murphy is very much like... I mean, this is where you kind of see both Harry and Murphy at their best, you know, is constantly heads with each other, but also Murph is a lot more serious and rigid, and you have to stick to the rules, and there's a way of doing things, and Harry is a lot more like, fuck you, I'm going to do it my own way. A little bit the ends justify the I know I have rules, but I kind of want to break them. How do I break these rules? Well, yeah, kind of like, you know, like he is his own. He, he marches to the beat of his own drum, so he's like, well, in the same way that, you know, like, the president can't ever break the law because the president is the president. Anything he does is lawful. Harry can never <laughs> exactly go against his own rules because anything he ever does is falling within the rights of Harry, whereas Murphy's a lot more like, no. I follow the police code. I follow... <laughs> well, yeah, sure. <laughs> but, um, exactly. But then Harry or Murphy is a lot more like, no, like, I follow... The rules and the laws. Yeah, and she the ascribes have been to a set of externally imposed exactly that she's have like, been here for life. I'm a cop. These are exactly the the oaths, the pledges, the yeah. rules. I don't break out on whatever. my own. Yeah, she's like, I can't just you know, you know, phone no book rhyme someone or reason. because I want to, right? Like, yeah, exactly. So she's she's very much for upholding the laws, the laws as it is set out, mm-hmm. and and. I mean, you know, maybe like the very slight within sort of the interpretation of it, but there's a point where Murphy, she's not an idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, she's, she's gonna like get you the say, job. she's her own person. She does her own, but it, but exactly, basically, yeah, she's it's, not a mindless robot. But she's Murphy's mindless moral robot, but code is much more. What is the laws? Yeah, law. yeah. The law is the law. At the same so. time, she definitely has an open mind because otherwise, she wouldn't have been dealing with Harry Justin in the first place. Which is a huge, you know, nod to her head and the SIs in general, which is totally like you've yeah. got to be open to. And, and yes, she that- does, but she was also sort of pushed into it a little bit because SI is where they send everybody they want to get rid of and who they don't think is right because it's a difficult um, because exact SI is, is, is where you deal with all the stuff that doesn't fit neatly into the reports as Harry puts it and and cannot be easily explained so yeah Tendon. I 
without being too much spoilers, because I, I don't know too many of the side stories yet, um, is how does it say how she ends up getting into the SI? Uh, yes, but not in not for I th- yeah it's it it doesn't come up specifically in this book or any of the first few books. Um, is it only in a in a side story that it tells us? Well, I, I, it's hard to place exactly when it happens, but I mean, as you yeah, learn later, I, I mean, she ever. was more her father was part of the original SI, which was then known as the Black Hats. So Murphy was already. Had a legacy to SI yeah. in a way. Which we don't discover until like book seven. That, yeah, that's which is much later when you even get that insight. Book six, that's mentioned. But, um, and then, you know, even in Restoration of Faith, you know, she hasn't made it to SI yet. She's still the regular beat She's cop. She's still just, so yeah, brand new beat cop kind of deal. And has been established in that fan timeline. Uh, it, there's a three-year difference between uh, when Harry and Murphy first meet and she's a beat cop and Harry is lieutenant of SI. So... Karen, Harry's you, never... You know that there's at least something in there those three years, but it's, it won't be mentioned for a little while what exactly got her yeah. moved in. Is, is mm-hmm. that only... Because that seems like a pretty big jump from three years to beat cop to lieutenant. Uh, it If it's not three, it's less. Well, and that's just a testament to how hard she works. Okay. Well, it, it, it well, is. Yeah. It definitely is. Yeah, definitely is a testament to her. So, I, yeah, I think the way I view it is it's a little bit you have to wonder is, is, is there a little bit of a nod to, like, predestination nation there kind of a thing um you know like oh is it coincidence that your dad ended up working and now you know or is it one of those things that uh, is kind of bound to happen because it's in your dna somewhere that you were just going to get the short end of the stick with this day, you know <laughs> or exactly is it the fact that you know somewhere up in the higher brass is like oh that's another murphy let's stick her in the same thing but but yeah it's it's, it's a little bit it's 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 sort of as far as the police hierarchy goes, she gets shunted over to SI as a little bit of, of a dig, a little bit of a punishment, a little bit of a, um, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Punishment for being too honest. No, I was going to say, um, more like a dig at her, like an embarrassment for, like, to sort of, but... Um, take her down a peg or whatever. Um, but Murphy is like, hey, fuck you. You're going to give me this disadvantage. I'm going to turn it into an advantage. And that's very much Murphy, right? So both her as her personality and her in this world, because she knows to succeed as a cop exactly that she's got to work twice as hard as any of the guys or whatever, right? So exactly. So they, they shunted her over here figuring she'd be like, what the fuck do I do with this? And, you know, quit or, or screw up and get fired like everybody else that, that goes through there. Like, that's basically where they send people to to die. And, you know? Grind the spirit out of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grind them down and make them quit and that. And she's like, no, fuck you. You're going to put me, I am going to be the best damn Right, and that's that's where Harry says too, you know. So so she goes out and hires the only fucking wizard. Like you're like it's all paranormal shit. But they can't call it paranormal shit because they're the cops, and paranormal shit doesn't exist. Right, so it's like fairies are stealing babies and vampires are killing people, but nowhere in the reports can you say, well, a fairy stole a baby or this guy was killed by a vampire. So that's what SI is for to to, to fit it into real world situations non-paranormal to make it fit inside the reports and the lines and the conformities and still figure you know how to get this to court how to get a conviction how to how to wrap this up right so she hires the wizard who's called their psychic you know because she's like well 
right? And then it's proven to work for her, so she's going to continue doing it, right, is is the other side of it, right? So, yeah, Murphy's had a vague exposure that makes her kind of go, oh. Well, and that's also part of the reason why she also mentions, I believe, even quite early on in the series, if not Stormfront, that she was just refusing to ask questions and or to stop asking questions. She was very pushy and very, like, she, she was asking too many questions, ultimately, to the higher-ups. Yeah. Well, even within don't the just SI itself, exactly. Carmichael, even, even if you look at the side stories, Carmichael, it, it, who is also an SI, even tries to curb her from doing an honest report. Mm-hmm. He's saying, much a non Yeah, he's like, like no, yeah, no, this just... isn't gonna, we can't tell them we got eaten by vampires. That's not a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like, but they got eaten by vampires. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, so whatever, we end up at the hotel. Here's Murphy, here's Harry. Now let's go on to this case that Karen's yeah. presented with him. And it's that this. fun Maybe little interaction this. between, right, again, where you see sort of yeah, they've got totally some backstory and camaraderie. But again, like, she gets annoyed with him, but she also sort of appreciates what he's doing and why, right? And even that in itself kind of sets alarm bells going because he's like, oh, shit, she's taking comfort in this for me, where if he doesn't take comfort in shit on the job. So <laughs> this ain't going to be good. <laughs> yeah. And then, so, yeah, we meet her partner, Carmichael. Carmichael, who's... Just rails on poor Dresden the entire time until they get there. Big number. Yeah, Murphy's not really sure how much is out there, how far it goes, what she believes. But again, she's witnessed a thing or two. She's worked with Harry and gotten results. So she's got that sort of open mind as she's willing. Whereas Carmichael is just like, fuck this shit. Mm -hmm. This is complete yeah, wizard my ass, like, you know, like, yeah. You're another scam artist. Yeah, Yeah, complete. So, yeah, so Harry comes upon this hotel room, um, and you've got this little, uh, I mean, you get insight to his investigation skills right off the bat, you know, first off into the room is a nice little sitting room, and you've got Harry, he takes note of a thong under the couch of the, uh, the stereo playing out a love song. Yeah. Um, and you get a little bit of like the sense that you know this guy actually does have a professionalism about him. Uses eventually his, uses his pen or pencil or whatever to write, touch things, and not because he knows not mm-hmm. to get his fingerprints on shit. Yeah. So the man does know his job. Yeah, um, and is willing to legitimately do it when when needed. Yeah, respect, yeah. and, and that is the other side. Harry does respect the normals. Right, like he understands the police investigation and that, you know, fingerprints and evidence and how that, right, and he's not going to just yeah, fuck that up and be like, whatever, or I'm just going to catch it, cast the spell, and, right? Yeah, he's a very like, modern day man. He's not some random supernatural guy who's like, I'm going to set up shop in the middle of Chicago because I don't care. Like, he, he knows he, the humans. He is a human. He does understand yeah, human yeah. society. Yeah, and knows that he's... Well, and the next thing after that that we get introduced to is th- th- his very humanity, yeah, be by yes. being mm-hmm. absolutely horrified, but keeping that professionalism, but hearing this voice in his head that, as he as they put in the books, screaming because of and this just gibbering, vicious yeah. and brutal yeah, murder. It's not a pretty scene. Yeah, and I, and I like that. That's another nice little interaction, right? Because he's like pointing out, you know, like the panties in the stereo, and Carmichael's all like, "Oh yeah, thanks, we already got that." Like some help you are, like no shit, Sherlock. Um, and then he's all like, you know, they're like, okay, Murphy's like, hey, come on, let's check out the actual, right? And Carmichael's like, oh, yeah, I'll have a bucket waiting for you. And Harry's all like, oh, yeah, okay, Carmichael. 
And then, yeah, literally gets in the room and is like, ooh, fuck. I'm gonna need that bucket. I'm gonna need that bucket. Yeah, basically, exactly. Literally has to stop himself from, like, hurling the second he walks in. And, yeah, slams the door on that gibbering, screaming part of his mind that is just, like, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Right, so as uh, you brought up Tanzan, he walks into a horrifying scene. Uh, the did you want to describe? Oh, they're... Uh Post, uh, or are they mid-coitus? They're mid-coitus, yeah. Mid-coitus. <laughs> and yeah. They're, they're, their chests are quite literally burst from the inside out. And that, that there's visceral evidence everywhere in the, entire, in the entire room that the pieces of their hearts have turned into gelatinous goo, goo mm-hmm. that has been spewed all over the room. Romantic. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty horrific, and Harry is not here. Let's see. Um, yeah, so you've got this uh, again, as you said, mid-coitus, <coughs> gruesome, disgusting, uh, hard explode outward scene, uh, and Harry does eventually go for the bucket. The second second glance around, <laughs> um, uh, but it's kind of when you first get into the scene of like just how ghastly and horrible this is is that uh there's this impending sense of just wrongness that harry can pick up in the air in the room in the scene and that's kind of when you now start to get the other aspect of harry and the magic is that it's more than just doing and it's much more mental and physical both in the same time it's a legitimate reaction that is you know it, it plays on his senses it hurts him Emotionally, mentally, it's just something that is very well. And realizing what, that the that that the perversion of magic, because it's the the life force that brings life or that brings the magic into reality, of, yeah. Mm-hmm. And to yeah. to use that to snuff out life is just this horrendous wrongness. Exactly. And Harry even goes so far as to you know introduce a little bit more lore in the books is that in order to have done this, you would have need magic to kill and that is breaking the first law of magic. Yeah, and it also is. mentions the, the White Council for the first time mm-hmm. and that there are laws to magic. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and they don't lay them all out mm-hmm. yet, but there obviously are some which Harry has to abide by. Some sort of governance out there. Yeah, some sort of governing body and he's not really allowed to share it because, you know, um, they're okay with, with being in the closet. They want to stay in the closet and they're like, okay, we can't, even though they try, they're like, we're not real happy with Harry being out there and flaunting it, but they're like, you don't have to out the rest of us. Like, we don't want that shit. We want to just stay yeah. background, right? And so point, if he you can't want- really talk about them and their, you know, the first rule of Wizards Club is you can't talk about Wizards Club. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and no muggles included. No, yeah, keep the muggles out. We're not... Exactly. So to a point, it's like you want to appear like a kook to the world, fine, but you know, you leave us out of it or we're really going to get involved and you're not going to be happy about that. So there is a little bit of fear from Harry there. Like, okay, no, like they don't like me. I really have to shut up. I cannot share this. Yeah. And we don't really know why there's, there's an issue there between what that is, but yeah, she's basically just like, okay, solve this, do it. And he's like, I, I I can't really, (laughs) I no. Nope. Yeah, no. And that's one of the things I kind of like about the way the rules and stuff work in this. Like, in the Potterverse, it's a little bit like, 
whatever you can imagine and say will just just happen, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you just conjure magic up out of nothing and make it happen. Whereas in Harry's world, that's not really how that works. One, there is, I mean, it still sort of follows the natural laws of the universe, right? So you cannot just, you know, matter cannot be created and destroyed, right? Everything um, has... Physics is still physics. Physics is still physics. Everything has an equal and opposite reaction, and right? So he's like, yeah, you can figure out a way to summon up the fire, but when it gets here, it's going to act like fire. It's just going to do whatever fire does, right? So you may, you may get it here by a different means. Um, yeah. I was going to say, it's like a dual uh, double-edged sword is that, you know, in some ways, Harry Potter universe really you know backs itself into a hole because it's got uh what is the word for it um uh no restrictions no like plot what's that called when you ruin your own plot plot holes it's got like it's got plot hole after plot hole because like oh well like how come this thing solved in the last book you didn't use it in this book you know like yeah 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 established you know like the time turner can be used to go to like four different like potions classes at once but you can't just go back in time and stop Voldemort like you know like it's things like yeah, that yeah, just yeah. Never. but on the other hand when you do have the rules in the Dresdenverse often then you're backing yourself into a corner because I was like oh, can't do that because I established last book you can't do that or oh can't do that because I so it's like both books kind of have that like you know the Harry Potterverse has infinite rules for what you can do to get out of it because there are no rules yeah but then the Dresden Files is like no there's so many rules that sometimes you just like it's almost easier because then it's like you don't have these plot holes, but then you have to work that much harder. But then you to have to work within the the confines of what you've created. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, and that's and, why he carries a gun. And that, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, oh, curses! I just. But I was gonna say going back to like his his technology and stuff like that too, right? Like that's one of those things where um, it makes new and interesting ways because exactly he can't just hop on hop on the internet and look up what this is and what's going on or whatever right um but he still has to find a way to get his information and stuff Mm -hmm. like that right so it's kind of again sort of tempering that lack of technological use with mystical and magical means and stuff like that right so sometimes he can find out stuff that murphy and stuff couldn't easily find out and sometimes murphy is just like you're such a loser like how can you not know this and he's (laughs) like well i don't even get a tv to work anymore like like yeah most of his tv and shit was from a kid because you know, stuff like that. It's like he has to go to like drive-ins more often because he's far enough away from like the projector and the equipment that he's not going to fuck it up, right? But anyways, um, but yeah, but these these rules um, with the White Council, um, fuck, what else was I saying? There's a governance that must be abided to. We have no idea what he did, but he does clearly. Yeah, oh yeah, so that's it. So So that's what I was saying. So with these rules... For him to just write, he can't just be like, well, obviously the guy went hocus pocus and this is what happened. He sort of has to, he has to do it by trial and error, but he has to sort of sit down and figure it out a little bit like a scientist in a lab would, right? Like they can hypothesize and they can have a certain amount of knowing what's going to, but until they actually sit down to create something or invent something, right? It's mm-hmm. how it looks on paper is not always how it plays out in practice. And this is what Harry's got to do, right? He's like, well, I can sort of get an idea, but I got to mess around like with formulas and and you know like like you say sort of the rules and laws of magic that like they can kind of bend and change over time like anything else but there is sort of something that they follow and so he's like if i start like i'm gonna have to sit down and work this out and if i start sitting down and work this out like white council might get wind of it and they're gonna be like what you practicing black magic for he's like well no i'm, I'm just testing it yeah yeah you don't need to figure out how unless you want to do it right yeah. 
so yeah he's sort of getting himself and shit that way he's like you don't understand I can't start messing you know be like mm-hmm. if a criminal suddenly you know started buying like bomb ingredients you guys would shut down that shit pretty quick you know you won't just be like oh you just kind of want to wonder what might happen if a terrorist did that yeah okay I get that no problem right exactly, he's so. like yeah I'm, I'm going to dig myself there's in so no much. way for me to look at this yeah I'm, I'm already on their terrorist watch list I can't stop start dipping my fingers into terror shit <laughs> exactly so there's a lot more of the well there's a lot more or just yeah Harry's very yeah like, and he's yeah he can't explain you know. that he can't t- you know Murphy's like we'll just go do this shit and he's like I, I can't but I can't tell you why cause exactly <laughs> The catch twenty two of the book. The catch twenty two, yes, totally, exactly. Which is again, as you said, catch twenty two. It kind of starts the distrust between like Harry and everyone in his life is often an inform a problem to communicate because often Harry's backed into a corner about what he can and can't say to who. Yeah, and and sometimes that's by choice. Sometimes that's Harry, his protective streak, his chivalry, his whatever, being like, "Ooh, no, I I don't want to. This is just bad. (laughs) I don't. I I don't. Yeah, I don't want to point you down this rabbit hole. You might get somewhere you don't. And between like, well, I would tell you, but. I've got other things preventing me mm-hmm. from, mm-hmm. you know, so, yeah. It's really the catch-22 of the series. Yeah, it comes along, so. Um, so, yeah, so basically now he's got this this terribly horrific, disgusting um, murder that, yeah, again, aside from just being a horrific murder, he's like, mm-hmm. there's no other way, like, that's had to be magic, what the fuck, this is bad, and now how do I figure this out without fucking around with things I can't and how do I help Murphy and how do I keep her clear of it everything which on top of it all leads to Harry at least being able to come up with the as you said like magic needs it comes from creation in order to have created a spell like this it's such a perversion of it and you can't even imagine the kind of person who'd have been able to make this sort of a thing it also leads him to have the hypothesis that we're looking for a woman killer because it's just so passionate and just so yeah, this was a little bit right exactly. You know, he's, it's just he, so he, carnal. That yeah, it's he's not. like women feel more strongly, and he's like women are just better at hating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Murphy's <laughs> like, well, "What you talking about, Willis?" <laughs> exactly. So he's like, "Well, you know, I just feel." She's like, "Well, is this something like only a woman can do?" And he's like, "Well, no." She's like, "Jesus Christ, Dresden! Like you're such a pig." Which doesn't help his whole. Which doesn't help his whole. Yeah, yeah, that is that's sort of a good thing there. That exactly, he's like based on the fact that they were in such an intimate moment, and exactly just exploded. the passion in him. Motion to that clearly, do it's a jealous woman. Uh, clearly, it's like oh, a right. jealous woman or something like that. Yeah, and Murphy's like, um, Is that like our only option? And he's like, Well, no. And she's like, Oh, seriously. And he's like, yeah. Well, okay, fine. But might have taken like a few people could have done this. But yeah, and that just leads to who the victims actually are. Uh, and it's not just, you know, some random sieves off the street. Who you've got here is uh, Jennifer Stanton, who was an employee of the Velvet Room. Yeah, uh, which is a high-class escort Exa- brothel. Boutique brothel, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then the mister is uh, Tommy Tom, uh, who is uh, a personal bodyguard to Chicago's mob crime overlord. mob boss, overlord syndicate, etc., etc. Johnny Marcona. Exactly. Of Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so... So yeah, so we have uh, a high-priced call girl and a and a mafia enforcer, and on top of you and know, that's just not good things to get. Yeah, well, the, and on top the, of the you know Tommy Tom being to Johnny Marcone, aka mob boss extraordinaire of the city, you've got Jennifer Stanton who is part of this uh, brothel, which is owned by Bianca. 
who, as we will learn as the series progresses, is a red court vampire. Which just makes the politics of this whole murder just thick. Yeah, exactly. Harry's just like, oh, this just got ten times better. Things Great got thick. Harry day one, and it doesn't really ever... <laughs> yeah. The so water's never really clear from there. Jim does this just to sort of make sure that the 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 reader doesn't have a way to sort of try to guess right away. Oh, it's this guy that did it. Yeah, exactly. By by introducing immediately the most complicated way that these people could be involved by weaving this really giant web. It's a total theme for Jim Butcher. You know, you've never just got a mob boss. You've never just got a vampire. You're going to always have like 18 of the absolute worst situations coming at Harry all at once. Yeah, and Harry's just like, It is hard to follow. Like, like, I just need a nap. Exactly. Every book is kind of like a race (laughs) to be like, no, look, they all want to kill him. None of them are the good guys. The only thing you're guessing at the end of the book is which one's going to get there first. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure, definitely. They and that's again one of the things I like about them is is that they're they're well paced, they're kind of fast paced, they kind of jump in the action and go like you don't like, like again I I I've seen reference to, you know Harry Potter and stuff like that where you kind of have like some action and some stuff going on and then it'll kind of calm down for like a chapter or two while. You know, admittedly, the twelve-year-olds trying to figure out what the fuck is going on, right? And they'd be like, "Oh, shit's happening!" And then they're like, oh, "Okay, no, wait, what is right?" Whereas Harry's just like fucking full steam ahead, right? Yeah, like it's just suddenly he gets dunked in the deep end, baptism by fire, whatever. He's in there, and it's just go, 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 and he does not have a lot of time to slow down and reflect. And and, and certainly, yeah, Jim Butcher has said like each book is written with the intention of Harry's worst weekend of the year. Yeah. Uh, he tends to get his butt handed to him in several <laughs> different kinds of ways it and is... spends the rest of the book very sore. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> basically all the time that passes in between books, you get anywhere between, you know, like three and 12 months between books and you've got like, it, it's kind of just assumed that, you know, like Harry boy was like in the hospital that whole time. Yeah, yeah. He's been a chunk of it like, recovering. And you know, he had some each of book his... starts out with like, I only just stopped being bruised like a week ago. Yeah, yeah. Then then he had some of his typical cases like his, his you know, lost keys. And, yeah, they start throwing in short and, stories in you between know, stuff to like, it out. Right, you're like, oh yeah, sure, some of his regular life happened in between and this is just, yeah. Well, Harry tries to leave the uh, apartment to go make his appointment after that. Hotel. He's... Yeah. And, uh, you know, lucky for him, someone meets him outside. is none other than uh, <laughs> lucky for him. <laughs> gentleman Johnny Marcone, who kind of insists that he join him for a car ride back to his apartment. His office, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like, yeah, exactly. He, like, takes off and sort of realizes after a moment he kind of feels like he's being followed and then notices, like, this car pull up or whatever. And, yeah, they're like, here, let's give you a ride. He's like, no, no, I'm fine. They're like, no, really, let me give you a ride. He's like, okay. <laughs> So, yeah, so chapter three. Uh, So on the surface, Marcone doesn't look like an intimidating organized crime lord, uh, but he is just that and rules Chicagoland. Marcone wants to hire Harry to not investigate the murder at the Madison, offering Harry two full weeks of pay. Harry, of course, doesn't agree to that, and in his refusal of Marcone's offer, they lock eyes. Cue soul gates. Harry initially thinks he's getting one up on Gentleman Johnny, but after the soul gaze is complete, he realizes that Marcone manipulated him and that Marcone got more out of it than Harry did. This rattles Harry. He does his best not to let it show how much has thrown him. Uh, Marcone backs off on his attempt to get Dresden to stay out of his business, and Harry is dropped off outside of his office building. So this is our our new introduction to our 
Or anti... Oh, what's the word? Sorry. No. Antagonist? Antagonist, thank you. Antagonist, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so we've got Harry, we've got Murph, who's an ally, and now we've got Gentleman Johnny Marcone, and we are going with the pronunciation Marcone because um, I looked up some crap with... I, I heard Butcher in an interview or whatever say Marcone. So this is what we're going with because initially I was one of the ones when, when I... When I heard Marster said Marconi in the book, and that worked fine for me, I pictured it, how it's spelled. And when I actually picked up a physical copy of the book, I was like, yeah, that's Marconi to me. And it just seemed to fit with the Johnny, like the gentleman Johnny Marconi. Kind of, yeah, the whole Italian mobster, whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then after the third or fourth book in the, the audio recordings, Marster switches to Marcone. And at first I was like, what? That's, that's bullshit. What? <laughs> um, so yeah, so I have, yeah. So I was like, okay, how does Jim Butcher pronounce it? So assuming that Butcher will always pronounce it the way he wants it pronounced and that he's not caving to peer pressure, I'm going to assume that it is meant to be Marcone. So we will call him Marcone. Right. And our, our definite repeated description of Johnny Marcone is the green dollar the cold bills. faded faded dollar yeah, bills the tiger the green, soul the tiger soul yeah and this is what they get out of the um the soul gaze so yeah so when they when they first go in um you know he introduces himself and that and I I, I think sort of Harry's got it just already like um I don't think you know he, he he's never before in any of his cases or anything like that, he's never had interactions. He's never really crossed into Marcone's world before. But again, just being the sort of stuff that Harry does, being that he's um, involved in, in helping the police and being that he does private investigation and, and it's Chicago and, and this is his town. He just, he sort of has a general idea. He knows who Marcone is kind of a thing. Um, so yeah. So when he first kind of gets pulled over, he's like, Oh shit. I think then he's like, yeah, I'm John Marcone. And he's like, Oh, fuck me. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so, but Harry also um, very adamantly states he doesn't like bullies and that. So, Marcone's like, yeah, you don't, you don't want to look into this. You're just going to leave it alone. And Harry's like, fuck you, no. Like, he's quite rash in the way that he deals with oh, it. Oh, he's. Marcone ends up being this very rational and controlled very calm, and methodical. Calm, whereas, as the, the, all of the reactions that Harry has are very guttural and fear and, Whatever he reaction, he, reactionary, just, yeah. instantaneous. Yeah, he he doesn't like bullies and he doesn't really like authority figures. <laughs> and Marcone is, and not is, to mention that he's afraid. And he mentions straight and, point and, and, and he, he is, is afraid. Yeah, he's like, this is not good. I just got pulled over by the mobster and you know two or three of his cronies because, like they say, they they tried to snake him outside the hotel and he just started booking it um, in order to to make his appointment. So, um, so yeah, he's, he's like not too comfy. He's now, you know, locked in the back of it. And it's funny cause he, he, he likes to, he rips, he's, he pokes some jabs at, at Hendrix, who is a big football-esque type player who's driving the car. Um, and he's like, Hey Hendrix, you put your seatbelt on, right? And Hendrix is kind of sneering at him in the rear view, like, fuck you. And then he's like, of course I didn't put my seatbelt on cause I want to be able to bail out of here at a second's notice, just in case I feel shit's going down. Um, but he's like, it didn't stop me from giving him a hard time. So, um, so yeah, so he's kind of nervous, doesn't really know what's going on. And Marcon's just like, yeah, how, like, like what's your daily, you know, fee or whatever. And he's like, like, 1200 yeah and then harry's just kind of like well fuck you that's not the way like one that's just not me anyways two he's like the police have already asked me to look into it so 
I have to look into it. I can't just not like they've already hired me to do it. Right. And Marcone's like, are you sure? Cause you could just, you know, pretend not or whatever. And Harry's like, yeah, no, no. And so Marcone's like, well, and so, yeah. So then Harry's like, really, John, I don't think I like, and sort of, you know, looks around to look him dead in the eyes and thinking he's gonna, you know, freak Marcone out. And yeah, they, they go into the soul gaze. So Anytime a wizard locks eyes with someone, they they see you for who you really are, and you get to see them. And and this is one of the earliest um, snippets from the book, one of the audio clips that we had. So it was, yeah, they get to see you the same way. Um, and boy, does it go ever wrong for him? Yeah. So Marcone's kind of scary. It's it's this this well-ordered kind of barren like a cold steel refer- you know what here I am just going to read you the description of Marcone's soul because I can't really do it um, justice it isn't the money John I told him I lazily locked my eyes onto his I just don't think it's going to work out to my surprise he didn't look away so part of this is so we're not really sure where Marcone falls on all of this but given that he sort of has an idea of who Harry is and what's going on again you sort of get the idea that Marcone is is willing to have sort of an open mind to to the arcane to the supernatural world right he might not be completely savvy but again certainly like Murphy Murphy yeah smart enough to believe smart enough to yeah like he doesn't know yeah like yeah exactly there's they can't know everything there's got to be some stuff I've seen some things um, and and open to the possibility that, you know, there's stuff I may not know. So let's just see how this, right? Um, so, yes, yeah, so he's like, so to my surprise, he didn't look away. Those who deal in magic learn to see the world in a slightly different light than everyone else. You gain a perspective you've never considered before, a way of thinking that just nev- that would just never have occurred to you without the exposure to the things a wizard sees and hears. When you look into someone's eyes, you see them in that other light. And, for just a second, they see you in the same way. Marcone and I looked at one another. He was a soldier, a warrior behind that relaxed smile and fatherly manner. He wasn't going to get what he wanted, or he was going to get what he wanted, and he was going to get it in the most efficient way possible. He was a dedicated man, dedicated to his goals, dedicated to his people. He never let fear affect him. He made a living on human misery and suffering, peddling in drugs and flesh and stolen goods, and he took steps to minimize that suffering because it was simply the most efficient means of running his business. He was furious over Tommy Tom's death, a cold and practical kind of fury that his rightful dominion had been invaded and challenged. He intended to find those responsible and deal with them in his own way, and he didn't want the police interfering. He had killed before and would again, and it would all mean nothing more to him than a business transaction, than paying for groceries in the checkout line. It was a dry and cool place inside Gentleman Johnny Marcone, except for one dim corner— There, hidden away from his everyday thoughts, there lurked a secret shame. I couldn't quite see what it was, but I knew that somewhere in the past there was something that he would give anything to undo, would spill blood to erase. It was from that dark place that he drew his resolve, his strength. That was the way I saw him when I looked inside, past all his pretenses and defenses, and I was, on some instinctual level, certain that he had been aware of what I would see of what I would see if I looked, that he had deliberately met my gaze knowing what he would give away. That was his purpose in getting me alone. He wanted to take a peek at my soul. He wanted to see what sort of man I was. Um, 
So, yeah, so he's like, yeah, Marcone looked at him to see the things that Harry was willing and capable of doing. Um, he's like, most people who did that got really pale, at least. One woman had passed out entirely. I don't know what they saw when they looked in there. It wasn't a place I poked around much myself. And he's like, Marcone wasn't like other people who'd seen my soul. He didn't even blink an eye. He just looked and assessed. Um, and just a second later, so he's like, at first, um, I, Harry's like, he's like, first thing I felt was anger, anger being manipulated, anger that he should presume to soul gaze upon me. Just a second later, I felt scared to death of this man. I had looked on his soul and it had been as solid and barren as a stainless steel refrigerator. It was more than unsettling. He was strong inside, savage and merciless without being cruel. He had a tiger soul. So yeah, so Harry's like, you don't want to mess around with this guy. Like he can, when he needs to be all business, he's all business. So don't mess with him stuff. Don't invade his things. Like this is his dominion. This is his property. This is his guy. But at the same time, he's just going to be very cold and calculated, very, you know, um, meeting out what he feels is, is suitable, whether it's, you know, we're going to chop off a finger or we're going to, you know, just to the cold calculation of what business needs. Yeah. Right. And, and just that, yeah, he's like, this isn't a police matter. I don't want, you know, the guy arrested. Right. He's like, you took one of mine. I took one of yours. Like, this is very, um, Oh, what's the untouchables? Mm, Yes. Right. Right. You put one of ours in the hospital. We put one of yours in the morgue, you know? So yeah, this is, yeah. Marcone is, is very much of a checklist sort of a follow. Yeah. So he's got his own code and this is, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. All right. Um, So I'd say that probably concludes our chapter three. (laughs) Yeah. Anything else you want to add Jess to Marcone? And well, again, this just sets up Marcone for the rest of the series too. It's that, yeah, this is another man, like much like Harry and Murphy. He is set in his ways. He has his own code, and he does not waver from that. Yeah, set of belief and operations. Yeah, and I think this, when Harry sort of is like, "Oh, I realized sort of what was going on," is I think that says something else about, to me, anyways, how Marcone. Like, not that I necessarily would have noticed it like my first time around, but it was like, oh, again, this sort of indicates that that Marcone knows a little something about a little something. Because again, this soul gaze didn't seem to catch him completely yeah, off guard. Really so whether yeah, so part of that is just Marcone, I think, and like I say, his his unwillingness to to show reaction. To, he's not going to give anything away by giving a reaction. But at the same time, when Harry's like, "Oh, I kind of feel like he did this on purpose," it's like we don't know that Marcone necessarily had any other soul gazes at any other time but he might have heard enough read enough something somewhere that that he knew that this was a potential to happen that if that if he met harry's gaze harry being a wizard that he might get some insight or whatever right so again it lets you know that marcone is like yeah i kind of you know is yeah learning to has has been sort of somewhat exposed to the supernatural world and his arming himself as well as he's capable um, in regards to that, as with anything and everything else he comes in contact right. with. So, if it's business, he knows business. If it's politics, he knows politics. If it's crime, he knows crime. Like, oh shit, there's some supernatural. All right, what do I need to know? Let me let me learn about this supernatural. Oh, that's it. That's actually one of my favorite interactions too, because Marcon is like, oh, they say you know things or whatever, right? And Harry's like, they also say I'm nutty as a fruitcake. You know, Marcon is like. Mm, 
rather particular about which they I listen to, right? So again, yeah. Very he, measured and very, planned. Very man. measured, planned. He, mm-hmm. he takes in a lot and sorts through it. He doesn't just, you know, go for the Google headlines. He's not like fake news. As Marcone does his research and he has people to look into stuff. And he does, yeah, yeah well, again, right, shit's going on. There's some supernatural wizards involved. I'm going to get right in with the wizard and be like, yo, you're either for or against me kind of a here, right? So, yeah, so Harry's got his plates full and then gets dumped out of the car in front of his building. And he's he's just, bar- yeah, so he's shaken, he's rattled. He's like, this is a seriously scary dude. I can kind of see why he's come in and laid claim to Chicago and why he's in charge and nobody operates here without his say-so. Um, and he's like, fuck, now I'm on his radar because he knows who I am I and, and yeah. he knows about me. And you now tried he tried to pay me off and I said no. Tried to pay me off and I'm like, mm, ain't gonna happen. So so then he took a little a little looky-loo, a little peek inside. And he's like, okay, now I really know who you are, Dresden. And Dresden's like, well, fuck, you're scary and I don't really know what you saw in me. And um, I still have to go meet my, my, my appointment about this maybe missing husband and fuck, I don't care about this right now because <laughs> there's like death and murder and mayhem so yeah it's been established that Marcone is a very protective about his people I don't know if you said it or not like how he's very much about like these are my guys I'm going to be the one to take charge here and handle his own exactly you know like it's not just about police interference that he doesn't want it's also just about like I have a reputation here that needs to be maintained because it's also been established that Marcone uh, became the gang leader uh, roughly six months after Harry and Murphy met. So that's only been about two, two and a half years ago mm-hmm. uh, before Stormfront is established. So he's very new. It's also, you know, it's said that he's done a hell of a job, you know, that even the cops have to kind of tip their hat to him and say, like, all right, this guy has, you know, he's a gangster and we don't contone crime. But at the same time, he's the lesser of evils because at the moment he's running a very regimented, you know, there's not killings in the streets over prostitutes or whatever you know it's like he owns all the prostitutes and all the drug dealers and all right. of the middlemen so there's no reason for there to be a gang war turf war in that situation so sure crime is still going on but there's a bit of a, an elegance to it that even the cops are like you know what we don't have the time to deal with this there's enough going on that needs our attention so you know even murphy and harry both say throughout the books like we're coming for you one day marcone you're lucky enough to not be high enough on our list yet you're lucky enough to be doing your side of the job well enough, but they're like, but you're still a piece of shit, and we're still gonna, we're still gonna take you down one day. Don't forget that. Right. So it's a little bit of it. Marcone is like, listen, these are all my people. I own all of them, and if I'm going to maintain owning all of them, I'm going to fucking put the fear of God into any of them too. So tell you and your little wizard friends, you and your little cop friends, fuck off. I've got a reputation here that right. is much bigger than you and your dingy little office in SI. This concludes our episode, Green Eyes and Broken Hearts. Thank you for listening. You can check us out online at freeflowrambling.com and mickanallys.ca. There we have links to our other podcasts, social media, and other fun tidbits. Tune in for our next episode where we cover chapters 4 through 6. We are Free Flow Rambling. Conjure by it at your own risk.